Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and on today's episode, we are looking back at the USA's group stage campaign in the 2023 Gold Cup. The United States advances, topping the group after a 6-0 win over Trinidad and Tobago. We're going to talk about that game, some individual performers, some tactics we've seen, what we expect in the knockout round. We're also going to look at a few Americans who either have moved or could well be on the move this summer. It's going to be a packed U.S. show uh, to talk all those things out. I'm joined by a man who always knew it was Jesus Ferreira and not Falaran Balogun that would solve our number nine issues. It's Joe Lowry. Hello, Joe. I don't like I don't like how this started. I'm not a fan as much mm-hmm. as I love all of the uh, well, most of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Um, I'm not sure I would go quite as far as you did just there, Taylor. But you know nope. what? Let's celebrate. Ryan Jesus Ferreira scoring great goals. I am here for the ride, at least in the Gold Cup, and then afterwards, it's it's back to Balogun. Now, I'm creating the rumors. Joe, you drafted Balogun, uh, but then last night after a few drinks, you dropped him. You added Jesus Ferreira. Jesus Ferreira is your number nine for life now. I feel like you're maybe going to get that tattooed well, on your back as well. Well, what it was, really, Taylor, to be honest with you, is I... I I couldn't stand the Instagram post of Faloran Balogun in the Yankees jersey. Like I, ju- I'm just not, just not into that. Like as a as a fan of literally any other team in Major League Baseball, in my case, the Arizona Diamondbacks. It's it's just not not the thing to do. So Flo, that was that there was a is. real problem. That there it is. All right, all right. Ballo, excuse me, my bad. Ballo. My Get bad. it right. Get it right. A man who always gets it right and has not yet lost to Qatar, at least in an official Concacaf competition. <laughs> it's Graham Ruthven. Hello, Graham. Congratulations on your 100% record. Thank you, Taylor Rockwell. Yes, Scotland haven't lost to Qatar either, (laughs) but I wouldn't bet against Qatar being at at Euro 2024, the way that they seem to wangle their way into tournaments now. I just just presume they're in every major tournament now. That's just the way modern football is. And it was Qatar who sort of quietly did Euro qualifying last time, right? It was a World Cup qualifying where they were just in a group, but not officially in the group so that they could get some games. Yeah, they were a ghost team in European qualifying for the last World Cup. And that really helped them at the tournament. They were, checks (laughs) notes, really bad at the World Cup. Uh, They were better last night, uh, beating Mexico 1-0. A Mexico team that were more or less assured of uh, top spot, I believe entirely assured of top spot at that point. So, grain of salt as to the demise of uh, Mexican football. But if things continue on poorly, maybe we'll do a big thing uh, episode about the Mexican Federation. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about the USA's 6-0 win. And the fact that they get out of the group stage with uh, seven points, but they top their group on goal difference, even though, Joe, Jamaica scoring plenty of goals. Did you ever get nervous or did you feel like maybe that was going to be a bridge too far for Jamaica? It felt like to me like the U.S. kind of started to slow down against Trinidad just as, as Jamaica were picking up and getting a few goals. I got a little bit un- uh, uncomfortable. I'm not going to lie. I didn't get uncomfortable, mostly because I was watching on mute, and so I had no idea what was going Uh on in the other game, but I did get sort of the sense as some goals continue to trickle in, and and eventually I did check my phone, that we were in the middle of of kind of a shootout, which is an entertaining thing. We don't usually get that in a lot of of top-tier competitions, especially in group stage play, so I was here for it, but I was never super concerned. There was a there was a a couple minutes when Jamaica scored yep. twice in three minutes yep. I think to make it that was their last two goals so they they go five nil up and I think at that point the US is what are they four, four or up. five yeah. yeah that was the only time when the goal difference went down to two and it felt like Jamaica I wasn't watching that game but. Yeah the way the goals were coming through, it felt like they were kind of scoring at will against St. Kitts and Nevis. That was the point where I was a little bit on edge. That is exactly where I was with it. Of like That number just kept sort of getting narrower and narrower, and it did feel like, okay, so St. Kitts and Nevis have just fully given up, and Jamaica are going to put <laughs> nine past them. U.S. better start scoring, and then they did. Uh, Busio gets his goal. Brandon Vasquez comes in and gets his. The U.S., 
comfortably see off Trinidad and Tobago. Joe, let's start with the 11s for a moment, specifically the U.S. starting 11. Uh, did you like what you saw? Did you like the adjustments we've seen since last we talked about the U.S. in depth? Yeah, I liked a lot of the adjustments. There have been a couple of changes with the squad, some some folks that are, are out or unavailable. Aiden Morris is uh, gone from the camp for personal reasons. We still don't know much about that. Jordan Morris is dealing with a little bit of an injury. And Alan Senora is also dealing with an injury. It sounds like he, of those three players, will be replaced, according to BJ Callahan. I don't think Joe, that's did actually... did you curse those three players, actually? Yeah, right? Those are three players that have come in for some pretty heavy criticism maybe, from Maybe you. I did. Maybe I did. <laughs> Jordan less than the other other two, for sure. But yeah, all of them are, are uh, I guess, sort of around that conversation. Maybe, maybe I did have something to do with this. But given the absence of those players... I thought the lineup mostly made sense, you know, right? Maybe the one you could look at, maybe two would be on that left side, Christian Roldan starting over Cade Cowell, but I don't have any major beef with that, to be honest. I, I, I find it hard to get irritated about that one way or the other, and the same goes with Dewan Jones and John Tolkien. Tolkien, I thought, was decent in that first game. He hasn't started either of the two games since then, but I thought Dewan Jones was good, or at least good enough in this game. So I didn't have any major complaints about that. It was good to see Taylor Miles Robinson Back in the middle of the back line, yep. he's dealt with uh, some hamstring issues, I believe it's been, and that that stemmed back from the Nations League. So good to see him back next to Jalen Neal. I enjoyed watching those center backs play. Overall, I, I thought this was fun, and, and like we led with, Jesus Ferreira can't stop scoring, and as long as he's yeah. scoring, he's not coming out of this lineup. BJ Callahan has had faith in him, and it's been rewarded so far in the group stage. Uh, and in this group stage, we have had the conversation about what does it really matter, especially this particular Gold Cup with a C team, C plus team, maybe. Uh, the United States is sending after the Nations League with them kind of being uh, so close together that we weren't sure what we were going to get out of this. And I would argue the first 15 minutes of this game is why this tournament matters, at least this iteration of this tournament because we've seen these games before when the United States needs to score a goal, they need to get the win. They're playing against an opponent that is, on paper at the very least, inferior, but can make life difficult and can bunker and defend or try to bunker. I wouldn't say Trinidad and Tobago really bunkered all that effectively. But I felt like in the first 15 minutes of this game, you could see the nerves. There were heavy touches, part of that because of the ridiculousness of the field that they played on. But there were heavy touches, there were mishit passes, and there was also just a frenetic energy to a few different players that it felt to me like everybody wanted to be the one to make something happen, to kind of just put a little safety into this game. And in those first 15 minutes, there was that sort of back and forth energy that I felt like you had a few veterans, maybe Christian Roldan, that's why he's in that 11, helped to slow it down, find some passes, pick their moments, and then get that opener. And from there, it felt pretty comfortable for the United States. Uh, Graham, thoughts on any of that so far? So I honestly thought the pitch was a factor in the first sort of 10 minutes Mm -hmm. of the match. Um, It was bizarre, and I couldn't quite believe what what I was seeing. So I didn't have um, Stuart Holden on on my world feed uh, commentary but Taylor you were saying before we started the broadcast that he was explaining or someone was explaining that mm-hmm. they just laid the real turf on top of the artificial turf which then is not surprising at all that this is the sort of pitch you get which was just completely dead there was absolutely no bounce on it at, at all and the, and the ball was rolling really weirdly you know how there's that saying it's like playing on a it's like playing on a carpet and mm-hmm. generally that means it's a it's a good pitch you know it's it's there's there's no imperfections this actually was you wouldn't actually want to play on a carpet this was like playing on a carpet where the ball was just bouncing not really going anywhere at all then my thoughts go to well is this a thing that's going to happen at the World Cup? Mm. Surely they're not going to... So Charlotte's not a stadium for the World Cup, right? It's not a host... I don't believe so. It's not a host host city, but there are plenty like Seattle or whatever that that have artificial pitches. Surely they're going to rip those pitches up and put the real turf down that way. Otherwise, this is what we're going to get. I don't know if I'm looking at like grass and the solutions to it. If David Tepper is the man I'm going to for like efficient and effective solutions, <laughs> uh, all shade intended there. We're talking about this as the Tapper Dome. This is the best facility in the US. <laughs> ah, sure. It absolutely looked like a shag carpet laid on top of another shag carpet that they then watered. But the top one was <laughs> therefore going to be very porous. All the water goes through and that field looked dry and dead. It reminded me, Graham, of when you like use a futsal ball instead of a soccer ball and just it bounces and stops. And that kept happening. I think you're absolutely right that in the opening 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and then as the game goes on and the legs get tired, I think there was more like, oh, I have to chase this down because it's not going out of bounds. Yeah. Oh, no. But you would see a ball that would normally at the very least bounce up a couple feet 
bounce up maybe six inches, and then if it was rolling out of bounds, stop pretty short of the end line or the sideline. And and I think there were a few moments when players in the in the opening stages had to realize, oh, I need to chase that down. I need to make sure that goes out. I need to make sure no one else is overlapping because this could be a problem. Yeah. And I think both teams were a bit scrambly as a result. And over time, we, we saw the US in particular actually figure it out a little bit. So I, I think it's... Um I think it's for the first goal when Zendaya... Oh, is it for the second goal, actually, when Zendaya uh, gets down the left side, crosses it in for Freira, and then it's the kind of the, yeah. the, the slightly messy goalkeeping job that Freira finishes at the second time. I think it's De- Dewan Jones that plays the ball down the left side for that. And I think he quite clearly overhits that with the idea that it's going to it's going to stop in, uh, before it gets to the byline. So the US did kind of figure it out. But in, the, in those first t- 10 minutes, it was very scrappy. And I, and, and I think the pitch was a factor. Joe, we've talked about those opening stages and that opening goal for Jesus Ferreira. I, I teased you a little bit in the introduction for no reason, because it's not like you've been anti-Jesus Ferreira at all. But this was uh, his second hat trick in a row. I believe the first US player to ever do that, at least in an official competition. I thought we saw a lot of why Greg Berhalter likes Jesus Ferreira, even if he is maybe third or fourth or maybe fifth on the depth chart, probably third or fourth at this point. Uh, But I thought there was a lot to like from Jesus Ferreira in this one, not just because of the goals. No, there absolutely was. And this is why, guys, this is why when we talk about games against teams of Trinidad and Tobago's caliber at this point, and, and things have changed a lot since 2017, the talent pool for the U.S. has changed I guess maybe things haven't changed as much for Trinidad and Tobago and that they're still not a very good team. This is why when we talk about these kinds of games, we view things more from like who didn't perform up to the level, like who who can be ruled out rather than like who had the greatest performance of their lives. Because to be honest, like I, I expect Jesus Ferreira to come out and score goals. I expect Brandon Vasquez off the bench in you know 15 minutes or whatever he got to score goals, and he he gets one running into space and behind the back line. It's a good ball from Cade Cowell and a nice kind of chipped, poked finish from Brandon Vasquez. That's a great moment, and Jesus Ferreira had even more of those. I uh, I like what we're seeing from Ferreira. I like what he brings. I, I've been a fan of his game for a long time, both at FC Dallas and the national team. I, I'll be honest, this game doesn't really move the needle for me in terms of my evaluation of Jesus Ferreira. It's great that he scored three goals, and and that's what I want to see. To be honest, I'm more troubled if these players aren't getting into positions, aren't getting into scoring areas. Ferreira did that, so he kind of checked the box, but I'm a little hesitant to go much beyond that. I've seen some discussion on Twitter about the ways that he scored these goals, and I think there is some fair discussion there. Even, Even, honestly, one moment that he doesn't score, finding space at the back post. I can't remember who plays the ball in. I think it might be Dewan Jones. It's like a rocket ball towards the back post and Ferreira doesn't get it on frame with his head, but he does get ahead to it and tries to direct it towards goal. I think we maybe are seeing more of Jesus Ferreira and maybe we're seeing him evolve in in, in different ways and become more than just a link player. He's getting more incisive. He's getting more dangerous inside the box. But to be honest, I I think that's happening, but I'm not going to come out and say like, this is happening. Jesus Ferreira is transforming because it's Trinidad and Tobago. Like there are... There are USL players in this lineup, not not intended to be a slight towards the USL, but like this is not a top yeah. level team. So I kind of end up pretty much where I was before this game on Jesus Ferreira, but still great to see him scoring goals. Yeah. And, and I hope that continues against harder opponents in this tournament. I, I agree broadly with what you're saying, Joe. I'm, I'm not. Um, revising my opinion on Jesus Ferreira on the on the back of these these group stage games at the Gold Cup, I would disagree slightly in that it moves the needle ever so slightly for me because there is a difference between Jesus Ferreira scoring in a game and scoring back to back hat tricks in a game, and also, also analysing his all round performance. I think his all round performance in in pretty much all three games at this Gold Cup, certainly the last two games, has to be honest, been outstanding, has been uh, maybe the best I've seen of him. And, and, and I get I get what you're saying, Joe, it's a very low quality of opposition. I'm not moving up, up or down the depth chart on the basis of these performances, but it's in the sharpness of his touches. It's in the clarity of his, of his thought as, as well and how, how he's linking up play. The assertiveness as well, yeah. which says to me that he knows he is better than pretty much everyone on, on the pitch, which, which he is. But... There are other players that I would say have been in a similar position that haven't had that assertiveness, that haven't played with that confidence. So right now, I think he is a, a level ab- above 
in, in, in this team, certainly in an attacking sense. I also love that Ferreira has accepted the challenge laid down by, by Balogun, by Balo. Um, he's still obviously behind Balogun in that depth chart, and I don't expect that to change anytime soon. But if Balogun has raised the standard all the way down the striker pool, that is a good thing for the US. And, and, and I know um, there, I saw some debate on Twitter about... Well, I, I saw a limited amount of debate on Twitter because Twitter is broken at the moment, which I really love. But I was aware of a debate that was happening during this game where Ferreira you know, has to do it against Mexico, has to do it against higher calibre teams. And, I, and again, I broadly agree with that. But even if, if Ferreira is never at that level, the US are always going to play these matches where they need uh, Jesus Ferreira to score in these games. And if Jesus Ferreira is the king of the Gold Cup and that's all that he is, then that's great. That is yeah. a good thing for the US when yeah. you have Balogun ahead of him. There's absolutely nothing wrong with Ferreira being <laughs> the king of the Gold Cup. I like that a lot, Graham. There, there is a real chance though, that he can become something more. And, and I hope we see that. Like I said, I'm not willing to say that we've gotten there based off of this tournament so far. But he has been fairly good in all three games. And that includes the performance against Jamaica where the U.S. in general was pretty bleak. And so that is... That is a good sign for Ferreira. The one thing that I want to see him continue to improve in MLS and, and maybe as we trend towards the knockout rounds here in the Gold Cup against higher quality opposition, I do want to see him continue to be purposeful and creative, incisive, direct in the box. Right, That, for me, has been the biggest thing that's missing from Ferreira's game. It's some of his movement because he, he really at heart, I think is more of a number 10 than a number nine. It's his ability to find space in the box, to create his own shot, which he's never been very good at. Maybe we see a glimpse of that on this first goal where the ball pops up on him a bit, but he reacts very quickly and takes advantage of that opportunity. I want to see him you know, become a more well-rounded striker rather than just a number 10. And maybe his future in Europe does lie at the number 10 spot. I don't know what that's going to look like, but I think if Ferreira wants to get more involved in the first choice group, not this, you know, whatever letter we're going to give this U.S. Gold Cup team, if he wants to be involved in the A team and play a meaningful role, those parts of his game inside the 18-yard box will have to develop. I, I hope we see it. Uh, when Berhalter comes back in, takes charge, we're going to have the friendlies this fall. For both of you right now, is it Ballo? Not Flo, but Bello. Uh, and then uh, Ricardo Pepe, and then Jesus Ferreira. Is that about the pecking order for you all, or do you have it any differently? I feel like it's one, and one then two, and dot, then dot, a dot, larger dot, dot. group at three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, That's how I feel about it. I don't know how Graham feels. It would be Balogun as, as the number one option, Pepe as the obvious number two choice. Right now, I would have Ferreira as the third option, but Josh Sargent's another guy that I would put in that conversation. We'll see what happens with Haji Wright this summer. There's a lot still that I feel like can change there, Taylor, to your point about it being a slightly larger group. But, I mean, recency bias might be involved here, but Ferreira has looked very, very sharp, and, and that, that applies to some of his time in MLS yeah. this year as well. To be honest, I think the dot, dot, dot is after Balogun. After him, I think yeah. it's a bit of a blob. I, I could quite easily argue that Jesus Ferreira is number two, but to be honest, right now it doesn't really matter because in the big consequential games, it's going to be Balogun that starts for the U.S., and if Brandon Vasquez makes that move to the Bundesliga that's been rumored, then I'm sure he will jump pretty high into the conversation pretty quickly. Let's talk more about some positive performances and maybe some negative ones as well in just a second. First, a quick word from today's sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be Offers coming through willingly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with. And unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. 
Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Welcome back. Uh, when last we were we were talking, I was rambling, but before that, Joe was saying that this one was going to be difficult for the needle to really move, at least at this stage in the tournament. Maybe this whole tournament. We'll see what happens. But Joe, with that caveat, are there any players that in this game or in previous games have stood out to you in a positive way that have sort of raised your estimation of them a little bit? Mm, not not really like i'll be honest it i'm really having a hard time with moving any of these players up it's a lot easier to move them down and i think i guess i've been clear about that on on past episodes as well one player that i thought was good in this game and and has been good mostly for the u.s in the gold cup that i I really have been waiting to see something from and we've, we've seen bits and pieces against you know the quality of opposition that's that's been the opponents we get that idea but brian reynolds is that player starts it right back in this game isn't perfect, but you know is driving forward well on the ball, which is exactly what we expect from Brian Reynolds. He's the one, you know, making some incisive runs, some good overlaps to fizz balls across the box. You know, also has turnovers as well, and, and isn't always totally clean, but is just so dynamic going forward. He doesn't start against Jamaica in the first game, so he's only played against St. Kitts and Nevis, and now Trinidad and Tobago. He's played against the the two worst teams in this group. So it's not enough for me to say like this is this is a new Brian Reynolds, but I'm happy that he's getting minutes because I really like what he brings. I think his potential is higher than any yeah. other fullback in the pool, not named Sergio Dest, and it might even be higher than Sergio Dest. The problem is, at this point in his career, has gone from Dallas over to Roma. That didn't work. Now in Belgium, like he's kind of running out of time to position himself to hit that ceiling. Maybe he's already run out of time, and, and we're kind of working against the clock here. But I hope we see more of Brian Reynolds. Like, I hope we see him in the knockout stages because I think what he brings is totally unique in this U.S. pool. And I, I really have enjoyed watching him so far. There was a moment in the second half of, of this game against Trinidad and Tobago where someone in the Discord posted a video. It looked like an NFL mascot, like a big foam mascot driving through a crowd of children. And that was essentially, there was a moment where Brian Reynolds basically just barreled his way through three opposition defenders to get to the byline uh, and then the put a 72nd cross in. minute yeah yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> it was very enjoyable but I, I i like that we've seen that 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 level of physicality from from brian reynolds at, at right back I, I also like and this speaks to joe's point about the the standard of opposition but i also like that he has joined in a lot of attacks when the ball is coming down the, the left side i mean that's how he gets his goal in the last game where the ball comes down the left side cross gets played to the edge of the box he's waiting on the edge of the box and it's an it's a brilliant strike there's a lot for him to do from that from that position but nonetheless he is he is there and i'm not sure whether he is in that position against a mexico or, or a full strength canada but i have liked that intent from him at the gold cup so far I did not love, and this happened to him once or twice, but it especially happened to Jalen Neal and Dewan Jones, that uh, Levi Garcia was bodying people. And I, I, I did, one of my big notes, uh, like my broad takeaways from this game, was that a lot of this team needs to hit the weight room. I feel like they really struggled with some of the physicality and the strength uh, when Trinidad went that route. They kind of got bossed, they kind of got tossed. Uh, Neal, Neal gets the yellow card. Uh, for kind of overcommitting and having to pull back, and then he does the exact same thing yep. maybe two minutes later, but can't get the yellow this time. And maybe a, a speedier opponent who also has that strength would have been able to capitalize or or make that one count a bit more. So to to the kind of recurring point, 
the strength of opposition has to be factored in here, but I did think there were also some worrying signs, even if the United States ends up keeping that clean sheet. Can I ask, Taylor, you mentioned Jalen Neal there. Can I ask both of you what you thought about Jalen Neal in this game? Because I've seen almost universally positive notes on him on Twitter or what's what's been left of it over the last few days. Um, and, And it seems like you guys both had some positive thoughts. I thought he did a lot of stuff well. I dinged him pretty badly for those yep. two moments that you just described yep. because I think they really encapsulate his issues as a player right now that that make him a difficult one to start in a must-win game. And I'm not sure that yeah. just applies to international play. I think that might apply for the Galaxy. It's just unfortunate because they don't have any other center back, so they kind of have to play Jalen Neal when he's around right now. But maybe I got too stuck into those moments. Graham, what did you think of Jalen Neal in this match? I thought he was good in possession. That was that was my main thought. And I yeah. think this is maybe because Taylor and I spoke about Jalen Neal after the Jamaica game and our frustration with him in possession, which is meant to be the upside of his game, was that he was essentially just launching balls into the into the channel. And that wasn't all his fault. There wasn't a great deal ahead of him when you had the, the Morris and James Sands double pivot, which just didn't work at all. But in this game, we did see a, a lot more effective progressive passing from him. He was three for three on long balls he made uh, five passes into the final third which I believe was maybe third second or third most uh, highest number on the US he also made five of uh, also won five of his last six of his uh, six aerial duels so on the physical side um, obviously that last stat speaks to the the physical side of things and, and, and coming up against the opposition attackers I still think he has some way to go some of that is down to the fact he's only 19 years old and that physicality or or, or that um, he will build out his frame but my one of my concerns with Jalen Neal is I do kind of wonder if he has that natural aggression to be a, a top level central defender that's a different thing in my mind to, to physicality the physicality can come later but aggression is almost a, a mentality a bit of a mindset and that is where even in this match he fell down a little bit yeah, I think of of some of the best defenders in the world, or just very intelligent defenders. They can get into the the kind of strength battles. They can use their physicality if they need to. But it's also so much about the little moments of physicality, the little like uh, elbows, or just the little bit of separation that you need to win a header or keep a, a player from getting to that ball first, or stepping in front to draw the foul when you're trying to intercept the pass. And I think you have to have those moments of physical alertness and it felt to me on occasion like Jalen Neal was more of a oh now's the time to be physical let's get into it but when you are a teenager playing against a grown man uh Levi Garcia is going to enjoy that I think and there is an imbalance there is also an experience a craftiness imbalance as well and and so Jalen Neal for me uh, was a player that I had sort of staying where he was. Most of the most of the performances in this one were either trending up or trending down. I had Jesus Ferreira going straight up. Uh, I thought a lot of a lot of, to like from him. Didn't feel fair to knock him for any little moments that he might have had. I had Duan Jones and Brian Reynolds both trending up. Neil about where he was. Miles Robinson about where he was because I think Miles Robinson is great. I only had three straight down arrows or trending down arrows. And one of them was for Matt Miazga, who came on in the second half and I thought did not look very good. Felt, felt again like he was second to some 50-50 balls that he should not have been second to. When you have him in there, I, a large part of that to me is he's going to win stuff in the air. He's going to be that physical defender. And I felt like he lost some challenges. I felt like he was slow to step and 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 too quick to drop. And, and there were just moments in there where he still didn't seem to be at the level required. So he's probably still in the center back conversation, but he is somewhat further down than he was uh, prior to this tournament for me. Yeah, I, I think that's totally fair. Taylor, I have not been very impressed by Matt Miazga. I think he is a suitable like sixth center back in the pool, mm-hmm. seventh center back in the pool, which is it really is what he is coming into this tournament. Other center backs, Tim Ream, you know, Mark McKenzie, weren't brought over to the U.S. at all. Actually, Tim Ream was. He was in training during the Nations League rehabbing from that broken arm. But, like, you know, we've gone pretty far down the center back depth chart here for this particular Gold Cup. Miazka hasn't yeah. made any sort of push that he belongs above this level, which is a shame because I, I do like a lot of the tools that Matt Miazka has. Mm-hmm. Like, his size, his base athleticism, his ability with the ball and his right foot in particular, I think he brings a lot of good attributes, but it it hasn't been obvious that he's really good even at any one of those things. Yep. Uh, it, it's just, it just hasn't come together for Miazga in this tournament. 
Yeah. Two specific moments to really highlight. In the 62nd minute, he has that pass where he's trying to play it into the feet of Jesus Ferreira, who has checked back, but is more or less standing waiting to receive the pass because it took a couple extra touches before Miazga looked to play him in. And I think if that had been played two seconds faster, you're playing it into Jesus Ferreira as he's checking back. He probably hits that one-time pass out wide, uh, and then the United States can spin and counterattack. But Miazga waits and waits, and then eventually plays it into Jesus Ferrer when he is stationary, also clearly doesn't tell him anything, so a Trinidad player steps in, intercepts, and away they go. And you see Miazga sort of throw his hands up, like, come on, man. And I watched that five times. That is entirely Matt Miazga telegraphing a pass and then being really slow to get back. The other one that I wanted to spotlight, 81st minute, he's going in 1v1 on Leva Garcia. And Leva Garcia, as we saw the U.S. do time and time again, does the little sort of like feint I'm going to cross and then takes a touch. And Miazga bites so hard and goes sliding past. It is FIFA video game levels comical how bad that slide tackle was. So to have him sort of have an obvious error in possession and have that obvious of an error in defense, again, stronger opposition I think takes advantage. So I, I was more down on Miazga than I expected to be. Joe, a player that maybe you would expect people to be down on, I have not yet been, is Gianluca Busio. He was another one that I had as trending down after this game. I, I felt like it was just not, there wasn't anything excellent. He gets the goal. That's great. But there wasn't anything terrible. It was just a lot of moments of like, he should have known that he needed to make that run two seconds faster. Mm-hmm. He should have tracked that run more automatically. It, it was a lot of inexperience, I felt like, showing from Gianluca Busio. I would agree with all of that. Uh, I, I want to lead with, because I want to find the silver lining here for Gianluca Busio. He's from North Carolina, so mm-hmm. really cool to see him score a goal in Charlotte. You know, that's that's a, a really neat thing. I think this was the first US MNT game ever in North Carolina, right? Or at least in Charlotte. No, they played other games in North Carolina. But this is something new, and, and so it was cool to see Busio get involved. It's in the 79th minute. Uh, Yedlin finds Gressel, who stays on side really cleverly on that, that right side of the field. Drives down, cuts it back for Busio, who controls the ball well and finishes. That makes it 5-0. I I really enjoyed a lot of that. And that was kind of it as far as things that I enjoyed about Gianluca Busio in this game. I couldn't tell if maybe I I was just coming in with, like, whatever the opposite of Gianluca Busio colored glasses is in in this match. But, I mean, I spotted a lot of moments where I thought that's that's either not the right decision or he never had time to make the right decision because he was getting hit off the ball. Right, fourth minute turnover under pressure, then overhits a ball to Roldan in the box just a few seconds later after the U.S. recover. Twelfth minute miscontrol in midfield leads to a turnover. Fifteenth minute sloppy forward ball to Zendejas. People kind of get the idea, right? He just wasn't clean enough on the ball under pressure. And as a number eight in that part of the field, it's really hard to get away with not being up to the speed of play, not keeping control when you need it. Because when you turn the ball over in that part of the field, you're at a real risk of, of having a lot of problems going the other way. Busio wasn't the only player that was responsible for some of those kinds of moments, but for somebody that really did need to show that he belongs at this level and more in the Gold Cup, I just don't think we've gotten anywhere close to that with Gianluca Busio. I did like some of his late runs into the box, and obviously that's how he um, he gets his goal. The execution in those moments was was lacking, though. There was there was a there was an attack in the second half where the ball is fed to him, and I think it's Vasquez is is behind him and with a better angle to get a shot on on goal. And Busio takes the shot. There's no angle for him. There's two defenders in front of him. It gets blocked fairly easily, and yeah. it's a tame shot as well. Yeah. And you could see the frustration from Vasquez behind him that he had taken on that shot when he was clearly the the better option so execution was lacking by the way there was a giant difference of opinion on Busio between our discord which was pretty down on 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 Busio and probably closer to to what the the two of you have outlined and Twitter which seemed to be quite uh quite hot on Gianluca Busio so uh, yeah I found that interesting I don't think I have like really strong thoughts on Busio at this point in time Busio has kind of played the same game of like every time I've watched him for the US he plays a pretty similar match and I'm not really all that impressed but yeah there was a giant difference of opinion between the the discord and Twitter that's fascinating because he he I felt like was was anonymous and sometimes that can be a good thing that you don't stand out in a bad way but to me I, I felt like most of my notes about him that I do have there's a few positive there's a lot of like 
oh, he went for a back heel when that back heel wasn't on. Oh, he tried that first time shot and he and he whiffed the opportunity. Oh, he tried to play that first time ball wide and he overhit it. And I think what I want to see from a player like Gianluca Busio in this game is rock solid, very consistent early on. And as the game goes, as he grows into it, as he identifies where there are opportunities to be a bit more creative or to take creative license, that's where you take them. In this game, there just was not the sharpness that you need from start to finish, I think, to truly raise the estimations a little bit. It felt, as you all have already said, just more or less like what we've seen from him. And I think that inconsistency was troubling, especially just some of the defensive decision-making, the defensive alertness, and then the spatial alertness of, oh, I'm, I'm very much supposed to be in this pocket of space, in this passing triangle. I better get over there. But then taking that extra second to get there and then shaping up and then the pass was already gone. I felt like he was kind of slow on the evening. And I think that was definitely the case for Alex Andejas, who is probably oh, yeah. my biggest down mark. Uh, certainly did not have a great night against St. Kitts and Nevis. And Graham, I don't think, had a particularly good night against Trinidad and Tobago either. Yeah, he is the player that I've been most disappointed with during yep. this, this Gold Cup so far. I think he has the, the biggest downwards arrow um, of this roster. There was a lot of excitement around around Zendejas when he when he decided to play for the US earlier this year. Um, and, you know, three bad performances don't necessarily um, change his ability. He might still become a, a, a good, important player for the US, but he just hasn't made the most of this opportunity to show that he belongs in the A squad, which has to be how, how this Gold Cup is framed for him. Um, and this match in particular was really, really poor. There was a lot of slack touches. There was... At least two times when the US had momentum, the pass would be played into him and either that momentum would just die with him where he would take a couple touches and the US would stop and Trinidad and Tobago would get back or the ball would like roll under his foot and he'd completely give the ball away in, 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 yep. a, in a transition moment. 24th minute. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and he just hasn't looked sharp at all it should be say, should be said that he still plays a, a part in the in the second goal where, where he switches out to the left side and then bursts into the box plays the ball across and then Ferreira bundles at home so maybe maybe I don't know maybe he's um more comfortable on the left I have I have to say because he plays in Liga Mekas I'm, I'm, I've not seen a huge amount of Zendayas this is kind of my introduction to him um but I haven't seen anything so far to no. suggest he can offer much in the in in the big matches at this moment in time maybe maybe that changes further down the road yeah what Zendayas has done well for the U.S. In, especially in this tournament is connect right I think Graham some of the sequences you're describing where he pops up on the left and then goes and helps the U.S. just play forward to find Dewan Jones or find George Mihaljevic or whoever it is on that side. He can do that stuff well, but let's be honest, connecting in soccer is not nearly as useful of a skill. It's not as valuable as creating, right? You pay, a, you pay millions and millions and millions of dollars for somebody who can create in the final third, and unless you're Arsenal with Declan Rice, you're, you're most likely, or Chelsea with Enzo Fernandez, you're not most likely going to pay that same amount of money for a connective piece, somebody who's going to just link play in midfield. Not that that isn't valuable, but it's not as useful as somebody who can really unlock something in the final third. And for the U.S., the hope was that Zendejas would be able to do that. You go and watch some of the clips of him with Club America and Liga Mekis, and he does some amazing things. And he has done some impressive things in moments within a U.S. national team across multiple windows now. But it hasn't been at an elite level. And the biggest thing that I've been disappointed by that he's lacked is an ability to beat players 1v1, right? In this game, it felt like over and over again, he was trying in those moments, but just could not beat a guy on the dribble in the final third. And if you're Alex Zendejas, that's kind of what you need to differentiate yourself from the pack. He hasn't done it. It's honestly made me think that maybe he is a better fit for this team as a number eight. Um, that's... That's a problem, though, because he's not a big dude and has a really hard time controlling space. Taylor, you talked about hitting the weight room. Like, that's going to be a struggle for him. I don't think the U.S. can use him in a must-win game against Mexico or against Canada anywhere on the field. Because if it's not going to be as a winger, at least not as a starting player, if it's not going to be as a winger, it probably can't be as a deeper player against those kinds of teams with real strength in the midfield area. So, yeah, I, I agree with all of you guys about some issues with Zendayasa. I struggled to see him yeah. having a, a major part to play in the U.S. as they move forward in big competitions. 
I, for now, I think certainly. We'll see. He seems like a player that if he can put some things together, he's a player that I would like to see called up every now and then as sort of a we're touching base and seeing how you're doing. Because he does have that inclination to try stuff. He is going to get into it and try to frustrate opponents and maybe have a little bit of the CONCACAF dark arts as well. But there was just too much indecision. I think there was a, a supreme lack of confidence, especially after his finishing in the St. Kitts game. Uh, his very first shot of this one in the ninth minute is the one that he gets in, inside the 18 and hits at least 40 yards over the goal. And from there, it's failing to control. It's passing out of bounds. The other one that really stood out to me in the second half, he has one where he basically, it's in the 57th minute. He's played in behind. He times his run well. Also, Trinidad's back line, not particularly solid. Uh, but there is a, a first-time pass in for, I believe, Jesus Ferreira, who's making the run. And we've seen players hit this pass before. He's got like, I'm, I'm drawing it out for Grandma Joe, but he's got the two <laughs> defenders. He's here and he can sort of bend it around the defenders, but away from the goalkeeper into the path of Jesus Ferreira. If he hits it with his left foot, Zendejas. And he just, he looks up and sees it and you can see him start to go for it. And then he takes a touch and then he takes a touch and then he tries to cut it back for Jesus Ferreira and it goes straight to a defender who clears it. And then the ball ends up getting back to Zendejas and he goes for the kind of lobbed ball that's headed clear and away we go. But if he pings that ball in, if he trusts himself to make that play, if he has that confidence, I think there's a goal right there. And that is the type of goal the U.S. will score. It's it's a smart run against the high line. You get in behind, you ping that ball across first time, and there's a, an attacker there crashing who's going to score. That feels like a thing that can be replicated against stronger opponents or in more meaningful games. And when you can't execute those moments in this one, I end up feeling pretty frustrated. So he is one who has not moved up the depth chart certainly has only gone down are there any other individual performers for either of you that you feel like we should spend some time discussing graham do you want to uh like just ha have glowing praise for james sands who i genuinely do have <laughs> as a pretty positive line in this one yeah i think for not just in this match but tournament as a whole he is he's one of the upward arrows isn't he um some question I mean, marks yeah. Against him, not ju not just after that that pretty fruitless time at Rangers, but also things not really been going so well for NYC FC this season. Um, I don't know how much of that is, is is down to him. I think they have bigger issues than than James Sands, but nonetheless, he comes into this camp with a with a point to prove. And look, it's it's similar with every player that we have praised so far at the, during this tournament. I'm I'm not sure whether he has shifted up the depth chart um, massively on the back of these performances, but generally I feel better about his uh, his worth to the US at, at, at this time. Um, Taylor, we spoke after the Jamaica game about wanting to see Sands do a little bit more with the ball. Um, I think not having Aidan Morris next to him has has helped him against yeah. St. Kitts and Nevis and, and, in, and in this game as well. Obviously, the standard of the opposition has helped him too. But yeah, we have seen a little bit more progression from him and and, and playing forward. And, and in this game, um, having Busio and who is the other central midfielder again? I forget Mihalovic, of course, on either side of him. It, the US don't really need to have a double pivot in, in, or at least not a deep-lying, anchoring double pivot. Having Sands there on his own and then having two midfielders making forward runs is the way you want to go against teams of this of, of this calibre. So yeah, I, I am, um, I've been pleasantly surprised by what I've seen from James Sands. The last I saw of him was, was not this encouraging in Scotland. Uh, Joe, let me ask you about one more person. Uh, Matt... Turner, I think is his name. Any thoughts on him? He played in this one. Sorry, who who's Matt Turner? I only know whoever the goalkeeper was for the U.S. last night as the greatest yeah. goalkeeper of all time that's ever touched uh, yes, a soccer course. ball or been near one in planet mm -hmm. Earth. Yep. Uh, Turner was good. Yeah, Turner was good. He didn't and, have And like, just to be clear, you did rank Kaylor Navas above him when we did the cocky half rankings, right? I did. I did, and okay, I stand cool, by cool, that. Cool, um, yeah, cool, cool, I, I may have, cool. I may have touched on the hyperbolic there just moments ago, but um, <laughs> my favorite part of Matt Turner in this game was his green jersey. I'm green screening the Qatar sponsorship that was superimposed on the sideline. I don't know if any of you guys saw this. I, Graham, I don't even know what the world no, feed see that. looked like in that in that corner. But that was uh, that's always fun when you realize that these ads are not all there for people. They're Wait, being added on afterwards. So what happened? Did he just disappear? Did his midsection disappear? A little, yeah, basically. I mean, it wasn't a, a totally green shirt. I think uh -huh. there's maybe some like black squiggly lines on the shirt. Yeah. I, don't, I don't remember, but there it was still clear that it was it was Matt Turner standing there, but. A lot of his midsection did fade into Qatar Airways, yes. Um, 
So I like that. I generally liked what Matt Turner did in this game. He didn't have a lot to do, but he came up big in moments. The the one ball really that he didn't get to was one that nobody was going to get to. A rocket in the second half yeah. from Trinidad and Tobago that clam clangs clamors. I don't know where I was going with that. That bangs off the woodwork. Clang, it was a Joel thunderous a strike. I do love. I love a big clang. In uh, uh, to be precise, there, Graham. <laughs> that one he didn't get to, but like I said, he, he was never going to. He's the number one. Nothing's changed. I thought maybe we'd see Gaga at some point. That hasn't happened. I'm fine with that. Matt Turner for life. Matt Turner for life. And that one that hits the post is the one that uh, Matt Miazga gave away. There it is. I also don't really put that on uh, Matt Turner or or any other of the other U.S. defenders. Uh, Any substitutions we should spend some time with? We talked a little bit about Matt Miazga. Cade Cowell with a goal and assist. A self-made goal at that, uh, or a Trinidad-assisted uh, goal from Cade Cowell, Julian Gressel, Brendan Vasquez, and DeAndre Yetlin also getting minutes. Julian Gressel getting an assist. Brandon Vasquez getting a goal of his own. But Graham, you want to talk about Cade Cowell for a second? Cade Keith Cowell? If Crystal Palace don't... Yep. Keith, yeah, Keith. I, I, I can't shake that from my head since you brought that up, Taylor. <laughs> Even watching him in this game. And I've been I've been, I've been, been uh, watching the new season of, of Righteous Gemstones yep. as well. I can't get that out of my head. But yeah, hey, if Crystal Palace don't sign Keith after this impact, of, the, of this cameo off the bench, then they never will. I thought he was good off the bench. And Joe and, Joe and I spoke about him on the Patreon last week after the uh, St. Kitts and Nevis match. And we mentioned how, yeah, there was some good dribbly kid kill moments but the final product was missing and that wasn't the case here at all when he came off 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 the bench yes the goal is gifted to him by the back pass but there were a a couple of productive dribbles there was a couple of shots that needed saving and it just felt like his decision making was better and quicker and sharper and again low low quality opponents but nonetheless it was a, a a pretty encouraging cameo for kid kill Kate Cowell brought the dribbles last night like he brings the sausage dip to Cousins Night. Is that what you're saying, Graham? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, indeed, yeah. Uh, I'm waiting for him in the knockout rounds to turn up to the game with a giant cross on his back. <laughs> uh, everyone should be watching Righteous Gemstones, so these references would make sense. Joe, stone-faced as ever, is not watching Got Righteous all. Gemstones. Understood all. Stone-faced, <laughs> stone-faced. See, maybe that yes. was purposeful. Taylor, maybe. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. Yeah. Hey, you know, exactly. it works out. Whatever you want to go with. Uh, we've got a week until the USA's next game, which will be against somebody. We know that much. Uh, <laughs> it's a team coming out of Group D, which right now is uh, in order Guadalupe, uh, Guatemala, Canada, and Cuba. Uh, Cuba have been eliminated with zero points so far. Canada in third place with two draws and two games. They will be playing Cuba. So the expectation would be a win, three points, putting them at five but you never know. Uh, and then Guadalupe and Guatemala both on four points. So a draw there gives them five, and we get into some interesting tiebreakers. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing Canada in the knockout round. Why not? Let's give it a go and, and see if maybe they can get some confidence going against the United States. I don't think they can. Uh, do you all have a preference for any team you would like the United States to meet in the knockout round? Oh, yeah, I want Canada. I mean, Canada might be a low ebb right now, and it's not. it's certainly not their A team. But look, it's not the the US's A team either. So let's let's have a bit of rivalry. And uh, yeah, I want that matchup. I I do as well. I think we should call it the Aiden Morris Derby. To to be clear, I genuinely hope things are okay with Aiden Morris. I don't know what's going on there, and and I I don't know exactly what that situation is. But I would love that US Canada game just because like I think getting more high quality opponents, even though Canada is very much not at their best, they don't have all their best players, but they are still a team that has talent and that can beat you if you're sleeping. I think getting more games and against those kinds of teams in the Gold Cup will give us a lot more information on some of these players, which is the point, right? Like, that's that's why we're talking about these Gold Cup games in this way, going through different players of who's up, who's down. We want to see who is good enough to join the full group. And, and right now, I still feel like that picture is fairly murky outside of some names we already knew. So the more chances we have to learn that stuff, the better. You can't just say it's fun to beat Canada as well, Joe. That's also hey, acceptable. One answer. other point for me on that. Uh, I just thought of this. Graham didn't say anything. It's also fun to beat Canada. That there is probably is. the biggest reason. <laughs> Joe, I have an unkind question for you before we go to break. Uh, is the Aiden Morris Dar- Darby who gets to keep Aiden Morris or who has to keep Aiden <laughs> this Morris? This is harsh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that got me so good. It's who gets to keep Aiden Morris, obviously. Okay. That, right. that is what it all is. Right. We all know it. Uh, If he's listening where his family is, this is Ryan Bailey saying we will be back in just a moment uh, (laughs) with more Gold Cup. Or maybe we've exhausted our Gold Cup conversation. We'll get into some U.S. transfers or looming transfers in just a second. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back. I'm going to follow through with what I said uh, just before the break. No more Gold Cup conversations for us, which has made Joe just drop. Joe Lowry has (laughs) left us from recording. He so wanted to talk about the Gold Cup. Now he's back. I guess he's made his peace with having to talk about Tim Weah to Juve. Joe, I'm going to give you some time to process that we are done with talking about the Gold Cup. I know it's going to take a minute. Graham, Tim Weah to Juve, done deal. We liking this? Yeah, I think I think I like this move for, for oh, Timothy Weir. It's coming like me. Coming in like me right off the jump. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what so, is a move really? Yeah, and can well, one ever truly like it? Right. It's exactly. all relative. It's ex- somewhere. There's an existential question wrapped up in this this transfer for Timothy Weir. Um, I guess there actually is a bit of an existential question for him because I think he's going to be a key figure for Juventus, which that's. That's the good bit. While Juventus are at a low ebb, we're talking about uh, what a top 10 European club in terms of size and stature, and that's where the US want their players. He is going to be a key figure for Juventus, but I don't think he'll be playing as a winger. I think he'll be playing as, as, as a wing-back in the system that Allegri likes to use, and the statement that Juventus put out to confirm his signing had him down as a wing-back. And obviously, this is where Wea has played for, for, for a while at club level. He played for Lille um, at wing-back last season. He can play on, on on either side, so I think that versatility is probably quite appealing to Juventus as as, as well. But Timothy Weah has kind of tied himself to Max Allegri with this transfer, which is the bit that I don't like about this move. So in a weird way, Weah might want Allegri to stay, even though the fa- the fans very much want him to go, and I can't quite believe that he's still in place as Juventus manager, because it has been very insipid for a very long time under Max Allegri. But let's just say that they did make a change, and the fans finally get their way, Juventus make a bad start to, to next season. It is um, possible, maybe even likely, that Juventus change system with a new manager coming in. Maybe that's a back four, because back fours are most common. In football, and if that happens, then I have questions over where his his role is in the first team. So, right now, at the time of recording, I like this transfer. Looking further down the line, I can maybe predict and project some issues. It's yeah, it's not without potential pitfalls, right? And and the reality is for USMNT players across the board, as good as some of these players are, as good as Tim Way is, and as good as he is with the national team, he's not at a level where. He's a shoe in to go and have success at a club that doesn't have any problems, right? Like he's not at a level where, you know, Man City is just going to say, oh, you can come on in and play 1800 minutes and, and everything's going to be great because we know we're going to be good next year. He can't go to Arsenal or Real Madrid or whatever that looks like. It, it's just not quite there yet for this group of players. And maybe it will never be. We don't know. But Wayne hasn't been good enough at club level, certainly, to go to a, a team that has everything sorted out. So Juve very much have their warts right now. I, Graham, I agree with every word that just came out of your mouth. Like, I like the move now. It's a very clear Quadrado replacement. He's gone, you know, played 2,000 minutes basically in the role that we're expecting Wea to play as that wing back, you know, maybe a little higher in moments, maybe a little deeper in other moments. I like this move right now. The question that I had for you, Graham, is if Allegri leaves, which I think we can all agree is a real possibility for this season. I mean, it probably yeah. should have happened by now based off of what we've been seeing on the field. Although I would argue there are other issues with the squad and the squad building that have held Juve back. But if Allegri leaves, do you think Wea is capable enough to play fullback in Serie A? Because he, he played fullback, not really wingback so much. Like he played fullback straight up for Leo. Yeah, Taylor's got his hand up. Taylor, do you have thoughts on, well, on Wea's versatility? Well, I just feel like there's a chance that if Max Allegri is sacked, we might get Antonio Conte as his replacement. Fair. And then it's kind of the same system. So maybe... If it's Antonio Conte there, he's even better. Although, 
I don't know how much they're going to vibe Tim Weah and Antonio Conte, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I would have concerns about him just being a straight-up fullback I, I, because I think for the United States, we're going to see him sort of do a lot of attacking, but then also I, I buy into that sort of back three against Mexico and and him moving back into a wing-back role, and I think he did just fine there. So I would I really like this move for, you, for him to Juve, especially if it means he's going to get more opportunities in that Cuadrado wing-back role. If it is him in a back four, I don't think that goes well for him. I don't think he has the defensive ability at this point to do that. Yeah. And I think that could be pretty bad for him if that's what they're looking for. I could see him falling down the pecking order as a result. Yeah, I just don't see him as a, as a fullback at elite level. I think if... So so Conte is a possibility if, if Allegri goes. The other option that gets mentioned a lot is, is Zidane, um, who is openly flirting with Juventus at this point obviously a former player out of work for he's a while just, now he's just gently headbutting them is that <laughs> is, is that Zidane flirting yeah appoint me appoint me appoint me as <laughs> gently headbutting Allegri in the back um, Zidane likes a back four so that's not great for for, for Wea but I do think Wea would have the quality to perhaps play as a winger in that system and, and, and the way he does for the US. I don't think it's out of the question that yeah. he could be a starter for Juventus as a, as a winger. So it's, it's even if there is a change, it's 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 um, possible he could be a key figure for them. Just to set my stall out here before we talk about another player, I'm not confident about this and I, I'm going to go back through this week, actually it's on my list, to go and watch tape, more tape of Wea playing fullback for, for Lille. But I am much more open and have a bit mm. more belief in Wea succeeding as a fullback than either of you do. I don't argue with the fact that, you know, he doesn't have a lot of those defensive instincts yet because he still hasn't played a lot of minutes at that spot. Like this this past year, maybe a little bit the year before, but this was really his first major experience doing that job. And there are always going to be growing pains that come with a move like that further back on the field. But I do think Wea could end up as a as a pretty high-level fullback somewhere in Europe. We'll see if that happens or not, but I am I'm at least open to that happening this year for Juventus if Allegri hits the fan and all things kind of go to crap. I just don't have the like the evidence, Joe, to, yeah. to make that jump. Like I haven't seen him play in that position. And as someone who But he has played it though, my, right? Like the the tape is out there, maybe just because I just want to be clear, if none of us have really watched it, you know, I, I think we should at least fair. be open to him being able to do that job, right? But his his predominantly for Leo last season he was a wing back right so it, that was that, that wasn't was my that wasn't my impression but I should stop talking because again like I I want to go watch the tape I don't have all the info here okay yeah fair we should we should do a research I guess on on how we did at Leo in this position I just I the thing I struggle to shake is my first the, the first time I was aware of Timothy Wales when he joined Celtic on loan. And at that point, he's a center forward, <laughs> and he's just progressively it's a like Zardes, being pushed. It's a he's just progressively being pushed further down the pitch to the point where now apparently he's going to be a fullback, and and that's that's going to take some uh, adaptation in my mind to get used to. Yeah, isn't it like some central midfielders and attacking midfielders start out as right backs or right fullbacks, and then they slowly move up the pitch? Tim Way doing the opposite. We'll see how that plays out for him. <laughs> um, I'm going to say it's playing out really well for CBS, who have the rights to Serie A, uh, because we know Americans are going to watch Americans, and they seem to be getting some Americans moving to Italy, Tim Weah to Juve. We're getting a lot of rumors of Yunus Musa to Milan, as well as Christian Pulisic to AC Milan. Uh, Joe, either of those leaping out to you? The Yunus Musa one, I think, pretty... Serie late. America. Yeah. There you go. CBS, you can have that for free. <laughs> That's there a guaranteed use. They will 100% be using that. No <laughs> doubt. Centro uh, Tonelli, uh, now official to Newcastle. So the expectation, I think, is Yunus Musa being seen as a potential replacement yeah. there. Also linked with Fulham, who I believe eclipsed Milan's bid for... Musa by about $8 million pretty easily. The Premier League has a lot of money, it turns out, Joe. Yeah, they do have a lot of money. Thinking specifically about the Milan move, uh, I, I like this idea for both Yunus Musa and Christian Pulisic. I think Pulisic yeah. is a super obvious one. We've been talking about Milan as a destination for him for months now, like long before the transfer window was as close as it is. Uh, I, I think it would have made sense, and, and, and it still does, right? We watched them in the Champions League against Inter in the semifinal, and, and who's the right winger? Like, they're not getting production from that spot from SCS. They got production from Leal on the left. I like the idea of Christian Pulisic playing on the right wing. I think he can do both of those jobs. At times, I think for the national team, he would have been much better served playing on the right side where there's less of a risk of him cutting in because he's right-footed. And you basically force him to go more direct to be this athletic, vertical, box-arriving winger. 
I think he can do that job at a high level, and I think he would be a no-brainer option for Milan. I like that idea. Musa, I like this move as well. I don't think it's a, a guarantee for him to walk right into the lineup. Taylor, you mentioned Tenali going off to Newcastle. That does open a spot, but they have already gone out to sign Ruben Loftus-Cheek, AC Milan, and he is a, a player that's had more experience at the highest levels of the game than Yunus Musa has. There's really no way around that. He's older. He's a better an option for a Milan team that is is trying to stay high up the table. I can see them kind of defaulting to Loftus-Cheek, but the, the positive here for Yunus Musa is that Benacer, it was Benacer and Tonali as the double pivot for Pioli last year. He's out for five months, six months from now with some sort of an injury. So there is absolutely a chance for Musa to sneak in, snag that starting lineup with some good performances at the beginning of the year, that starting spot, excuse me, and really make that his own and keep these other players out yeah. of the lineup. So I'm, I'm open to Musa making this move as well. I think having both him and Pulisic there will be tons of fun. Brahim Diaz as well has has left uh, Milan to go back to Real Madrid this summer. He played slightly ahead of, of Benacer and, and Tonali. I'm not suggesting that Musa is going to play in that position, but potentially Loftus-Cheek could play in that position for sure. Milan, which then opens up the, the spot for Musa behind him. I, I like the move for Musa more than I like it for Pulisic, I think. Uh, really? Even though I don't think it's a bad move for, for, for Pulisic to Milan, I am just not as certain as you are, Joe, that Pulisic is best on the right. I think I would probably have him on the left as, as his best position. And obviously that's where Rafael Liao plays for AC Milan. They've just signed him to a long-term contract. He's probably not going anywhere anytime soon. So I do have concern about, concerns about that. Musa seems like a, a, a better, more natural fit in my mind. I also like that AC Milan have a really good track record of taking young players from around, um, from around Europe. They target players who have had like a high level football education at a big club that seems to be something that they do deliberately and um, which obviously Musa has from from his time at Arsenal and then they take those players and they give them a platform and they harness them so if you look at Brahim Diaz they did that when he came out of Real Madrid Teo Hernandez also out of Real Madrid Tamori out of Chelsea so I think Musa not just fits them tactically but fits their sort of transfer model as well that's a really interesting point Graham that does fit with the strategy uh would you say that Applies to both of them, though, if they both have that sort of pedigree, playing at a high level, yeah. playing for big clubs. I feel like both both uh, Pulisic and Yunus Musa could fit in there. Uh, I don't know how that how Musa would fit in with Ruben Loftus Cheek, who has made that move uh, from Chelsea. I'm guessing a lot more uh, movement from Milan before this window closes. Uh, one other player who could be on the move is Tyler Adams, linked with Aston Villa. I would like that because I think Aston Villa are very good and I think they're going to be a competitor for European places this season. I would say they are ahead of some very big clubs in my mind for being competitors there. But with that depth, with that amount of talent, it also means a lack of a guarantee of minutes for Tyler Adams the way we've seen uh, with Leeds and with with uh, Leipzig before he made that move. So I like it. Just from a, he'll be playing for a, a smart manager with a lot of talent around him. I don't like it in that uh, I don't know how many minutes that means for him. And Joe, I'm also not sure after you said this in the intro that he's going to be best in an Emory system. Yeah, I have a few reservations about this move to Villa. I'm not totally against it. You know, Tyler Adams is a, a professional. He's a veteran really at this point in his career. He's been in a lot of environments. He's had success in a lot of environments. I, I in most cases, back Tyler Adams to fight his way up the ladder. But there is a real fight ahead of him if he does end up at Aston Villa. The number of central midfielders that they have that played a real role last season. I mean, Douglas Louise, John McGinn, the legend himself, uh, both front and back side of, of John McGinn. Jacob Ramsey, Bubakar Kamara, they, they're kind of stacked already in central they midfield. They just signed uh, Tielemans as well. Yeah, they yeah. signed Tielemans. Good call, Graham. Like, I don't love this fit. And, and even you can see the profile difference of a Yuri Tielemans compared to Tyler Adams. Tielemans' whole thing is that he's super comfortable on the ball. He's press resistant. He can break lines. He's good at disguising his passes. That's not Tyler Adams, right? And so I, I don't know that a Tyler Adams type is the most obvious fit for Unai Emery, but he did have success with varied midfielders and, and their, their different profiles last season, Emery coming in. So I, I'm not willing to totally write this move off as a bad idea, but it's not this no-brainer. You have to go. You're yeah. going to be a key player. But again, 
Like, that's that's the Tim Weah thing. That's what I said about Weah. It's true for Musa, and we had that discussion about, you know, West Ham or, or Brighton or any of these clubs with Musa last week. And the fact that there are no obvious answers, really, for me, outside of Pulisic to Milan, I feel like that's a no-brainer. But Lyon's on the table there as well. Like, there's no such a clear-cut option for any of these guys that we're always going to have to have a few caveats to why these may or may not be successful. The positive for Tyler Adams is there's a lot more chat around him than I anticipated this summer. We spoke yeah. about this at the end of last season. There was a report in the Athletic Bill by Phil Hay that said Leeds actually wouldn't have to sell any players for FFP going down to the championship. And that said to me that Tyler Adams is maybe facing a year in the in, in, in the second tier of English football. Since then, there has been a lot of speculation. So these are just some of the clubs that have been linked with him. Brighton, AC Milan, West Ham, Sevilla. I've even seen a link, a fairly credible link with Manchester United, who I don't think are looking at him as a, a maybe a starting option, but as a depth option. They have been mentioned as well. So there are a good number of, of of top flight teams around Europe having a look at Tyler Adams. So if he decides that Villa is not the right place for him, there's probably going to be an alternative somewhere. I'm going to assume that he would be the getting yelled at for not being good passing the ball uh, replacement to Fred at Manchester United. That <laughs> seems like a, a good like for like replacement there on that front. One more uh, that is breaking at time of recording. Maybe you Ooh. both have seen this, but Tom... Uh, Boggart? Is that how we say it? I don't, he's got a the mustache. Bog I don't know. It's I don't the Bogmaster. It's the Bogmaster 3000. Is. Is how that's, uh, the Bogmaster 3000. Yep. Uh, Union Berlin <laughs> finalizing the signing of USMNT midfielder Brendan Aronson on loan from Leeds United. Oh, wow. Aronson, 22, made 36 Premier League appearances with Leeds. Several English and German teams wanted to sign him this summer, but off to Hertha Berlin, says the mustachioed Tom. What do we think of that one, gentlemen, if and when that happens? Union Berlin in the Champions League. I like that. I like Brendan Aronson theoretically getting minutes for a Champions League club. I don't know how much else I can say about that one yeah. aside from I like their manager and he's done well so far. It's another quick transition yeah. team, isn't it? Which I guess you could argue it's a good fit for him. That's what he does. But as we've discussed previously, I think we're, we're all in agreement. We maybe want Aronson to develop in possession and Union Berlin certainly last season very transition heavy. They're very good at it, finished in the top four in, in, in the Bundesliga, but I'd, I don't know. I've got mixed thoughts. It's obviously a good level for Brendan Aronson that he's going to be in the a Champions League club. But yeah, I, tactically, stylistically, mm, I maybe would have placed him somewhere else. I like. I do kind of like the idea. I agree with everything that, that Graham just said, by the way. But I, I do like the idea of Aronson just traveling around to one country after the next and finding the pressiest, most transition-y team in all of them. It's like, all right, who can I play for in France? <laughs> Let's weird... go for Reims. Okay, yeah. cool. Who's ne <laughs> I like the idea of him just checking those clubs off the list year after year. He'll have all the Red Bull teams gone. Yeah. He's going to end his career with the New York Red Bulls. I, I think I think this is a, a sustainable career path yeah. for Brendan Aronson. So so Brendan, what do you want to what do you want out of this run. transfer? I want to run hard <laughs> and that's all I want to do. I'm just picking, picturing a travel show that I would not want to participate in of Brendan Aronson just going around to Europe's best pressers and then it's just him at the end being out of breath like, yeah, they run a lot. <laughs> On to the next one. And we just get him around Europe uh, pressing and pressing. Uh, I'm, I'm excited for that. I'm also excited to find out if Brendan Aronson knows that Jordan Peefock is, is playing for the USMNT theoretically. Uh, we'll find out when he ends up there. If tell Greg about me. Tell, yes, tell exactly. Greg about me. Let him Put know. A good word. I'm Peefock now. I might change my name again. Uh, <laughs> but until he does, and if he does, we'll talk about that. For now, gentlemen, thank you for talking about the Gold Cup and some Americans in the transfer window thus far in the transfer window itself. Graham Ruffin, thank you, my friend. Thank you, Taylor Otwell. Joe Lowry, thank you, my friend. Right back at you, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, thank you all, my friends. Uh, we will be off tomorrow, my friends, uh, but we will be back Wednesday. I'm just going to keep it going, uh, and then uh, Normalcy will resume from there on out for now. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again, my friends. My friends.